Well, the NRL's Indigenous round has come to an end. It was an impressive week of rugby league that captured the culture that rugby league continues to bring. AJ and Reese recap a dramatic round of the season, as well as give our analysis on the State of Origin squad selected by Brad Fittler and Billy Slater. This is the League Saints look at round 12 of the NRL season. Welcome everyone to the League Scenes Look at Indigenous Round. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. We're recording on the land of the Darug people. I'm AJ Luke Antonio, contributor of League Unlimited and the Front Row Program. Joining me, as always, is nothing but League contributor, Reese Sullivan. Reese, welcome. Yeah, it's always great to be here and what an Indigenous Round it was, you know. Um, perfect. Um, celebration of the Indigenous culture and some damn good footy to boot. It was a spectacular week of footy, I must admit. It was pretty good across the board. Everyone celebrated Indigenous Round with respect, which I think is important. Uh, even this week's celebration. So, well done, Mitch. <laughs> Jesus Christ. See, I was I was gonna I was gonna load into it this week. Okay, wow. Okay. You expect me to do that off the top of the show, did you? No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so anyway, with that off the mark, let's get into this week's program. We're gonna go through all our games as always. We'll go through Graham Annesley's briefing a bit to get to around obstruction once again. I thought we cleared that up three weeks ago, but clearly Graham Annesley feels the need to go through it again. And we're also going to recap our State of Origin sides. Of course, earlier in the week, last week, we did our Origin team predictions. And safe to say, we were very close to the mark and Reese's bold take actually happened. So I think Reese gets the brownie points. I know ball. What can I say? I mean, I am leading the bold predictions this year, to be fair. So. Hush. <laughs> Disappointed there that I... Jumped in there, hey? Yeah, of course. Anyway, without further ado, let's kick off with Thursday night footy. And it was a convincing victory for the Melbourne Storm. 28 points to wait over the Manly Warringah Seagulls. And it's once again clear. Jerome Hughes is back. So the Melbourne Storm. What do you think of this one? Um, well, on one hand, Melbourne were untouchable. Cameron Munster had one of those games where he looks like the best player that's ever laced up a rugby league boot. Um, and... You know, as good as Melbourne were, on the other side of the coin, Manly were absolutely hopeless. That was my next yeah. point. It was a convincing win over a dire Manly side. And it has to be said, Tom Trebojevic was the glue that held so much together. Now that he's gone, how far did Manly slip? Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, Garrick does a good job at fullback. Yeah. Like, he, but with the holes Manly have in the back line, it's almost like, no matter where you play Garrick, it's a downgrade because, well, if you put him at fullback, then all of a sudden you have Tafua on the wing and he lets in two tries to Coates. So you put Garrick back on the wing and you put Tavita Caller at fullback and it becomes a mess 
defensively as well. So... I don't necessarily think it does because I think if you put Garrick back on the wing, keep Collar at center, I've got this really good young kid that I keep hearing so much about, young KO Weeks. Yeah, okay. I, I so if you put him there... there... No, AJ, AJ, I get where you're coming from, but Manly are hunting for a top eight berth. Okay, they're still very much in the hunt for eight spot. Do you really think it's wise to be giving a kid his debut with that much pressure on? Okay, now then that makes a little bit more sense, obviously. Yeah. But I think Jason Saab's due back this week, so that will at least alleviate George to fill his spot out of the lineup. Yeah. They, they'll slowly get reinforcements back, but obviously the big one is Turbo, and he's done for the season. So that's a massive, massive blow, no matter how you look at it. And they're into this interesting part of the season as well because Cherry Evans has gone for State of Origin this mm. week. They're up against a Warriors side that's really hot and cold, but it is that Origin period where they like to chalk up a few wins to get themselves around the discussion as far as the top eight's concerned. But I think we need to have a talk about Josh Schuster now. Yes. Um, we said last week he needs to get his hands on the footy more and if we bring up the stats, courtesy of nrl.com. Let's take a look at Josh Schuster, if you don't mind, Reese. Go ahead. Be my guest. So Josh Schuster played 49 minutes, which is a lot, had eight carries for 41 metres, seven of which were post-contact metres. It's almost like he's already playing 5-8 now, isn't it? It is. And Josh Schuster's tackle efficiency, 94.1, not too bad. And then when we get into the discipline, one error, one penalty conceded. So the point that I've got about Josh Schuster, I'm not trying to attack the bloke. I think that's, that's not in our game. But I, he needs, for all this talk about the switch to 5-8 that Manly fans have been banging on about for weeks, it seems, about, oh, Schuster's going to play 5-8. Year. For a year, not just weeks, since 2021. Or Schuster's going to play 5-8 when Foran's gone. Where's the proof? All I see from Schuster when he carries the football is running side to side, hoping to pick someone up on an extra out. You know what it reminds me of? Go ahead. Reminds me of a back rower from about, how long has it been now? Six, seven, eight years ago, who at the time played for the Penrith Panthers. Really good ball playing back rower. And everyone thought, oh, you know, he's going to make the transition to 5-8 flawlessly. He's going to be one of the best 5-8s in the league. He's going to play Origin. Uh, that bloke was named Bryce Cartwright. I was about to say, what is Bryce Cartwright? <laughs> exactly. exactly. And yeah, we all know how that situation turned out. Um, he ended up taking the money and his career flamed out with expectations. And I feel like Schuster, even though he might not be on a big money contract yet, if he does go to 5'8", he might end up going down the same route where he has all these expectations on his shoulder that he's going to be a game-breaking 5'8". You know, he's going to be the Dylan Brown passing crossed with the Cody Walker strength. And if he doesn't deliver, it's going to crush his career. It's going to crush his confidence. It's important to note Schuster's only played 25 games so far yeah. through the season. But in those 25 games, in the three seasons he's played, he's not averaged over 100 metres. And I get he's only played three games this season. But from what we saw last year, we were expecting Schuster to break the line open a bit more. Eight line breaks last year. So far, none through three games. His kicking game was an interesting asset last year. Had three, four dropouts, yet to have one this season. One offload this year. He had 21 last season. And I guess you could probably make the argument, oh, 
the data's a bit out of there. And you could probably say that, but at the same time, like there's nothing impressive in those three games where it takes your eyes and say, oh, here's something that could happen. We haven't seen any of that. Yeah, 100%. He, I mean, you take a look. He, when was his first game back? Was the Brisbane game, wasn't it? No, it was the Rabbitohs game when he played 69 minutes. Yeah. So, realistically, you know, he's had three games. He had that game against Souths and then Eels and Melbourne. You know, Melbourne. They both lost those games. Yep. And, you know, it's sort of looking at it going, you know, this guy's good. But can he contribute to a winning team or is he just going to pad his stats on teams that are losing? And I know last year Manly were a top four team, but they weren't a good top four team. They weren't in the they weren't fighting to get that fourth spot. Like they're fighting to have to get that eighth spot now. It comes with an asterisk, doesn't it? It really does, yeah. And I guess you could probably make the argument, oh, they were fighting with the Roosters. The Roosters were playing Lockie Lamb and Ben Marshke in the spine. That's not competition. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, the Cameron Munster finding form at the right part of the season, of course, Origin coming up around the corner, where we'll be dissecting the teams at the end of the program. Well, well time out, time out. We can say it's the right part of, part of the season. Craig Bellamy will disagree. He thinks he should find the proper form on grand final day. Fair point. I mean, in terms of state of origin as far as Queensland yeah, of course. concerned, of course. of course. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Melbourne during origin. Normally, of course, they're this brilliant game managers. But you look at their side, they've got at least four in state of origin at the moment. Plus, we'll... obviously, Pappenhausen and Welsh injured, who would have been in origin. Make the argument about Paps, definitely. Um Christian Welsh would have been there in the forwards. But I think that it's a really important time of the year for Melbourne. I think they'll benefit. They've got the bye this week, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they do. They've got the bye this week. They'll be helpful. But then next week, round 14, they've got that big game against the Roosters. And again, Roosters could be a bit of an interesting one. Could they rest Teddy? Could they rest Lindsay? And whatnot. Be well, interesting what day is that game? Saturday. And we rested Saturday. Teddy on the Saturday last year too. Two-day two turnaround. It's not... Ideal, is it? No. I think we'll rest. And then it depends. Well, do Melbourne risk it or do they rest as well? I think they'll look at their position, see what Penrith do. Because I think Penrith are playing... I think they're playing a bit later in the week. They're playing on the Sunday because it's a long weekend. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. But... Well, then if I'm Penrith, this is me coaching, but if I'm Penrith, I'd name everyone normally and then make the decision based on what Melbourne do on the Saturday. Fair point, but ooh, thinking about it, yeah, it'd be an interesting one to see what they do there. And, of course, we'll monitor those weeks during the program. Okay, second week, second game of Friday Night Footy now, and it was a convincing win for the Panthers, 22 points to nil. But as I said last week, it was a real litmus test for the Cowboys. But although they lost, I wouldn't necessarily call it a fail. Do you agree with that? I think offensively, it's a failure. But defensively, it shows just how strong they are. Okay. Because I thought they had a few chances in the opening part of the game, but they just lacked the finesse. And as I said last week, and as I've said throughout the year, you need to be dead perfect if you want to beat Penrith. Full strength. Mm. Yeah. You need to be dead perfect. Like Parramatta were a few weeks ago. 
You know? Exactly. That's the blueprint. But unfortunately for the Cowboys, I don't know if it was, you know, the fact that they had no Tamalolo. That's obviously a massive blow. Um, but then also, I don't know whether it was the inexperience in the halves with Tommy Dearden at 5'8". You know, the fact that Drinkwater had sort of an average game with the ball, which we haven't really seen in the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, attacking-wise, you know, they just couldn't keep the ball down the Panthers' end. The Panthers were just able to keep piling on pressure on the Cowboys' goal line. And like I said, even though they defended really well, they had to crack at some point, and they cracked yeah. four times. You know, Panthers could have easily put easily 30, possibly even 40 points on them. So to keep them at 22, it is a testament to the Cowboys' defense, but it shows they still have a lot of work to do with the ball in hand. Yeah, and we'll, we'll just take it for some stats. They only had 40% of the footy, 62% completion rate. That's why they had to do so much defending. And as we were saying last week, you give a team like Penrith the opportunity just one sniff of the ball, and they'll score nine times out of ten. Five line breaks to one. That's Penrith leading. Uh, missed tackles, I think, is an interesting gauge on the Cowboys. They missed less tackles than Penrith did. They only missed 30 as opposed to 34 on the Panthers end. So it shows that there's some gaps starting to emerge in Panthers' defense. Mm, and that's going to peak up the interest of some of the more attacking teams, guys like the Melbourne, guys like the Brisbane you know, we saw Parramatta a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. That if those guys are seeing the Cowboys force Panthers into missed tackles, they're going to be thinking, well, what can we do against this side? They did have, um, I think the Titans made them miss something like 50 tackles a few weeks ago as well. Mm, it's weird. This They're usually one of the most efficient defenses in the, in the, in the comp. Right now, it seems like they're on a bit of a rut. Yeah, um... Big test, obviously, for both sides coming up with Origin. Both sides heavily impacted by State of Origin. Uh, be an interesting test for the Cowboys, considering that they've pretty much, I think it's safe to say, coasted through this season so far. And it will be interesting to see, because you take Val, Cotter, Nanai, out. Those mm-hmm. are three big players. And then... For Panthers, obviously, you're losing six players and Appy's going to be in camp all week. So you leave. You, you don't get here. He won't train with the Panthers. He won't train with the Panthers. It'll be the same with blokes like Sawali and whatnot. And it'll be interesting to see how they hold up. I mean, they did um, – Penrith did release – they didn't let the six players who they knew would play um, NRL this week. They didn't let them play New South Wales Cup. They spent a week preparing for Canterbury. Already. Which is a really good tactic by Ivan Cleary. That's what you expect from him. Yeah, because you had blokes there, Sean O'Sullivan, Kurt Falls, Charlie Staines. They didn't play uh, New South Wales Cup this week. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. Okay. Broncos v Titans now. Reese, you're going to be happy, but I'm going to have to curb the enthusiasm for a moment if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Broncos 35 defeating the Titans 34 and the Titans once a fucking again blow a 20 point lead. Like what the fuck are they doing? I get you have some injuries, right? But we're going to have to do this now. I didn't want to have to do it to the Titans, but it's safe to say, boys, but you did this. You had it all and you blew it. You blew it. 
Mm, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was picking through the sound bites and I couldn't decide on one. So I was just like, fuck it. Let's do three of them in a row. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to hear three, but I appreciate Now um, it's official. The Gold Coast Titans are the NRL's version of the Atlanta Falcons. They love a good choke job. <laughs> Put some stats in now. This is because... your opportunity to praise yeah. your blokes. Okay, so this was the Broncos' sixth win in a row. All right, with the Cowboys' loss to the Panthers, that's now the longest active winning streak in the NRL. Okay? Of those six games, the Broncos have scored 30 points or more in five of them. Which is the outlier. Of those six games, the Broncos have conceded 14 points or less in five of them. Mm-hmm. Of those six games, the Broncos have outscored their opponents in the second half six out of six. This is not just a random sporadic run of form that you see from midfield teams year after year. This is the mark of a legitimate contender. And I'm not saying we're on par with Melbourne and Penrith. You know, I'm not even going to go out there and say that if we played the Cowboys this weekend, we'd beat them. But right now, I think the Broncos are a very good chance to end up in the grand final based on what we've seen these last six weeks. You were going so well. (laughs) (laughs) You were going so well. And then the words, Brisbane potentially in the grand final came out of your mouth. But I will agree, the fact that you blokes were able to do that comeback without Adam Reynolds, with all of the media attention surrounding uh, Mr. 750K is not good enough for me, um, shows the sign that you blokes can basically handle anything. Yeah. It was one of those games where, you know, obviously the Titans always fire up for a Southeast Queensland derby. That's been the case since 2007. And they they fired up and we didn't. And then, I don't know what Kevin Walters did at halftime, whether it was legal or not, but either way, it worked. Um, um, but we do need to talk the Gold Coast Titans for a second. And it is, I don't think it's a pleasure, but our lol cow of the week will come from this game. Well. <laughs> Um, the short 10, the thought process when you are up by three positions, completely immune, high risk, high reward. You get the ball back, potentially go down the field and score a try, potentially blow the steam out of Brisbane a little bit. I totally get the logic behind it, but the execution, man, and a rare things happen in the NRL. We've had a player take accountability. So good on you, Tino. You 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 played really well on Friday night, may I add. Had a great He's still game. the Titans' best. He's still the Titans' best. But I need to ask Reese that the first half's clearly not acceptable, conceding twenty four unanswered points. Oh, was it? No, sorry, twenty four points. A try when you conceded a try when they had eleven men. Is there still? Is that still the signs that you're still not quite there yet? 
I think we got shell shocked in the first half. I don't think it was the fact we weren't good. I think it was more the fact that the Titans came out, they got that quick try early, and then we tried to counter it. It didn't work. They scored a second try, and then we sort of went back into our shells a little bit because we didn't want to run a risk of going another third, a third try down, which is ended up being exactly what happened. Um, but then in the second half, we reset ourselves and came out with a different mentality, and that allowed us to obviously score the try, which led to the short kickoff, which led straight to another try. And then we had that third try to bring it up to 24-22. And then, you know, Herbie Farnworth, fresh off that contract extension, brilliant, playing around, getting capable of the try to take the lead, and then Ezra Mann with the try, Tyson Gamble with the disrespectful field goal to end the game. <laughs> that just sums it up, doesn't it? The disrespectful field goal. Um, Herbie Farnworth might be the bloke that saves England at the World Cup from hey, going out be... in the group stage. That would be something, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, we'll touch on Payne Haas quickly. Uh, a big week. The reports came out about an immediate release. Every second dog linking them to the roosters before good old Uncle Nick came out to debunk them. So that leaves I mean, probably... And the Dolphins have come out and said they don't want him. Yeah. I mean, look. The thing with Haas, he's not going to get released immediately because no clubs have $500,000 lying around in their salary cap to pick him up. Buzz says the Tigers do, but the Buzz says the Tigers have everything. Yeah, the Buzz says the Tigers are only paying Luke Brooks $200,000 a year. Did he um, actually say that? No, it's a joke, but... <laughs> I was going to say, that would be a Buzz thing to say. Um, but... Look, the thing with the Payne Haas issue... It's not so much he wants to leave Brisbane as much as it is he wants a new contract. And the thing that's getting on the Broncos' nerves is that he's asking for the team to void the contract for 2023 and 2024 that he signed back in 2018 so that the new contract can take effect from next season onwards. The Broncos don't want to do that. They're happy to entertain the idea of voiding 2024 alone, but not two years. Isn't there some clause about making or being competitive? Um, or is that, just a, whole, believe, is that just a whole lot of so. smoke? I do not believe there's a, a, comp- a competition clause in the contract. Because I was going to say, because I remember that was the big one that kept coming up during the media reports this week about some sort of clause in his contract. So I just wanted I to get... Be- I believe he does have certain clauses for certain situations, but I don't believe any of them can be activated based on where the Broncos are right now. I think if they were more towards the bottom of the table, he could activate one of those clauses. But right now, Broncos sitting fourth, I don't believe there's a clause that can be activated which would allow him to void the contract and walk away. Okay, I just wanted to make sure about that before we went any further. (laughs) Yeah, all good. Okay. Now, normally, this is the kind of the time where we'd have tank balls. But I've done a bit of research, and it's safe to say that the Warriors and Knights have been screwed around by injuries. So someone messaged me saying, oh, injury bowl. So this is the debut of the injury bowl. 
few frames there. <laughs> Unit lost. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't get you hyped up, then I don't know what does. But anyway, let's go over the ground rules of what an injury bowl is. Now, for to be considered an injury bowl, you need to have excessive amount of injuries that hinder performance. To me, the Knights and Warriors fulfill this quite comfortably. Yeah, so, I agree. Let's go through the game. The Warriors actually started okay. And they tried, I think it's safe to say. They did try, but ultimately an 80-minute performance is still lacking. Yeah, 100%. It, uh, it hurts to see the Warriors struggling so much because on paper, they should, like I've said a million times in this podcast, they should be one of the most exciting teams in the league. But right now, they don't have an identity. They don't. And I think that it's a concern moving forward that they are struggling to find this uh, identity. And it's safe to say, oh, they started the game good. 100% they started. They were up, what was it, 14-0? Sorry, 12-0. Sorry, my bad. Because Reese Walsh... um, Slipped, we'll say. uh, He did his Stephen Gerrard impersonation. (laughs) Too much trolling. I'm, I'm afraid Jack Martin's not going to like me anymore. Too much Liverpool trolling. Not only did they lose the Champions League, but I've slipped in a Liverpool joke. <laughs> poor lad. You're going to give him. You're going to give the poor bloke flashbacks. Seriously. <laughs> well, there was something even more funnier. It was a team in blue that went on to win the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to do dear. it. I had to do it. I had to do it. Uh, but Newcastle. Considering all the hell we put Adam O'Brien through the last few weeks, it's been a pretty good turnaround for the Knights, but it does come with an asterisk. It's against the Warriors. What would you make of this game, my friend? I mean, from Newcastle's perspective, it was a good bounce back from the loss to Brisbane. They kept that momentum they had in the first 50 minutes against the Broncos and carried it through to this one, which was nice. Obviously, they didn't have the best start, but... They got better as the game went on, which is not what you usually see from the Knights. You usually see them start well and then fade away. This week was the opposite. Um, but, yeah, they did what they had to do for the win at the end of the day. It wasn't the prettiest win you will ever see, but it was a necessary one. Win's and a win I'm in the sure National Knights Rugby League. Fans, uh, you know, there was a poll put out by Bay 53 whether... Knights fans would prefer the team to put effort in or win in games. Um, you know, they might not have put as much effort in as they probably could, but they got the win. So I'm not sure how they, if they like that or not. Um, but don't worry, Warriors fans. That means it's okay for you because your team did put in effort. Yeah, I mean, they are a month away from going back to Auckland. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle the next month or so as they eagerly await that return to go to New Zealand. It'll be very interesting to see how that transpires for them. But one man that I thought had a really good game, David Clemmer. And I did put him in my origin squad. Did have a few people say, oh, that's a good pick. But at the same time, I think he's over the hill as far as state of origin is concerned. Well, I think he came out and performed admirably on Saturday. He was man of the match, according to the Daly M judges, picking up three votes. He's had a good season. So if we go through his stats, he had 139 running meters, 42 tackles. I don't know what's going on between him and Freddie, but I think he's done more than enough to suggest that he could be an origin player. 
Yeah, hundred percent. It feels like that he is still one of the better props in New South Wales. And uh-huh. I mean, I feel like the problem with Clemmer is his name precedes him. People look at David Clemmer, and they look at the reputation he had at the Bulldogs versus the reputation he has now, and they think it's a different place. <coughs> yep. Okay. Thanks, AJ. Um. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, so like, you know, people look at the Bulldogs Clemmer as sort of that firebrand origin level prop and they think of Knights Clemmer as that more experienced, steady hand prop, which isn't true. Clemmer right now is playing as good as he did in his best years of the Bulldog. He just doesn't have that reputation anymore. Yeah, I'm looking through the stats here. New- Let's take a look at the average meters as he's gone through uh, Newcastle. 169 his first year. 172 in 2020, 164 last year, and so far 146. That suggests someone that isn't over the hill. He's still, how old is Clem? He's 28. He's in the prime of his career, I'd say. Yeah. But like I said, he just doesn't have that reputation. His name doesn't carry as much value as, say, a Papa Lee or a Campbell Gillard at the moment. Yeah. Does it, does it go down to, say, Newcastle not performing as well as they have in past seasons? That's probably a good reason for it too, yeah. Although even when they were perform, even when they were performing on the cusp of finals, it was Daniel Saifidi that got all the credit. It wasn't Clemmer. He's out of the side for injury, and instead they plugged his brother in. We won't comment too much on that. We'll get to that later on in the show, hey? Yeah, sure. Okay, South Sydney going up against the West Tigers, and it wasn't a repeat of the last time these two teams played. South Sydney forty-four defeating the West Tigers eighteen. South Sydney were dominant after a little bit of a scare for the West Tigers for the first 50 minutes. South Sydney put on the Jets and went on to score. Quite a convincing performance, in my view. And once again, showing that they're not to be underestimated in season 2022, but it does come with the asterisk that it's against the Tigers. Yeah. Yes. Um, it was against the Tigers, obviously. But at the same time, it was definitely also one of those games for Souths where everything just sort of clicked. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like there was more integration between Ilias and Walker than we've seen all season. Well, there was that fullback reshuffle that saw Cody Nikarima go to the back. Do you think that had an impact at all? Maybe a little bit. I think... Nick Arena and Taff both play pretty similar styles. Yep. But maybe the experience of Nick Arena helped take some pressure off Ilias. So I think that's probably the reason why Jason Dimitri went the way he did. But it was a big night for Alex Johnston, grabbing a hat-trick and breaking the record for the all-time try-scorers for South Sydney, going past Nathan Merritt to be at the top of the chain. What an achievement for a bloke that he feels old, but he's got a realistic chance of catching Ken Irvine on his current rate. Well, isn't it crazy? South Sydney wanted to let him go two years ago. Who knows scoring five tries against the Roosters does a lot to get you back in good graces. Yeah, but no, it's crazy to think that just two years ago he wasn't going to be offered another contract at Souths and it was unlikely he would ever play in the NRL again. Now here he is, South Sydney's leading try scorer. He was superb for them all of last season. He's arguably one of the most underrated wingers in the NRL right now. 
he just looks naturally at home on that wing. And 147 tries in, what is it, 171 games or something? 147 tries into 178. It's one very impressive strike rate. Yeah, that is massively impressive. Like you said, if he keeps on this strike rate, if he keeps on this strike rate of a try every, what, 1.1, games, mm-hmm. he will catch Irvine, which, you know, is insane he- given the closest player to Irvine who's on 212 is in the 180s. Is that Slater or Baymars? Slater's on 186 and then Menzies is on 180 flat. Ah, that's right. So, that's those right. Are the two players. 100%. And you've got to think, if Brett Morris didn't do his ACL with the rate he was going at, he could have moved up that rate a little bit. Mm, you're not wrong. I mean, uh, on the West Tigers quickly, there was uh, a report from the Daily Telegraph this week. And again, take with a grain of salt. It's from the Daily Telegraph. But... This is a concern for Michael Maguire because they're having a review at the moment of the dynamics of the club. And Tim Sheens has come out pretty candidly and said that, oh, he might be gone by their next game. Do we read too much into that? Yes. I think we wait to speculate when a coach gets sacked until a coach gets sacked. You know, unless it's clear-cut like the Barrett situation was, you can't really predict the outcome of board meetings because everyone's always said every time the board meets, it's going to end with a coach getting sacked. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of ten, it doesn't. But then one time out of ten, it does, and it gets paraded around like everyone predicted it. (laughs) So... Yeah, like, I think I think Maguire can lean back on the fact that the Tigers have barely been healthy all season. and oh, they've, they? they've still got Adam Dewey to come back too, don't they? Yeah, exactly. And they're still playing some really high-effort footy. They're just not getting results. And I know there's a lot of Tigers fans that will counter that by saying, well, the problem is we've never gotten results on Maguire. You know, this season... Even though they're playing better effort, it's not different. He needs to go. And I understand that. But at the same time, you know, the Tigers notoriously have a long leech for coaches not named Jason Taylor. 100%. And I think who would be in the mix for the gig at the moment for the Tigers? You've obviously got Serrata. He's the big one. Maybe they go back to John Morris as a potential option as a head coach. He's been there. He's got teams to the finals. Obviously, until the Bulldogs make a move. It's sort of up in the air as to who's available. Uh, Flanagan, another name. And there's been talk that's kind of died down between those two parties recently too. Well, no one knows what the Bulldogs are going to do with their head coach vacancy, whether they're going to look out for a Flanagan or a Steve Price or if they're going to try and keep it in-house with Mick Potter. I think they want to see where the club's at by the sec by the by their bye week, which is week 17, and yeah, see but how if they things wait go. Too long, the coach they want might be off the board. So it's a very double edged sword. I think if another team makes the decision to sack their coach, uh-huh. the Bulldogs would probably move very quickly to secure the future of the coach they want. 100% be an interesting one for sure. Okay, Roosters 36, defeating Cronulla 16, and 
To everyone that doubted the Roosters before, I'm expecting my apologies on my desk by tomorrow morning. Because that is now, let me get a look at the ladder quickly. That is now, we've beaten two top four sides, Parramatta and Cronulla. We've beaten half of the top eight already. And yes, oh, you can make the argument, Cowboys weren't there yet, Broncos were missing players. You can make those arguments if you want to. But the fact is, the Roosters looked polished going up against Cronulla, and Cronulla looked flat. They've looked flat for a month, and this is the thumping I think that they've needed. Yeah. You know, when they lost to Brisbane, it wasn't so much of a, you know, heartbreaking loss as much as it was they just got outplayed. But this is a game against against sorry against Sydney, where Cronulla genuinely expected to win. I was and, nervous all week. Yeah, all week it was. Well, this is the game for the Sharks to prove that they're not just a the April Premiers. You know, it's still that title from Dragons, and they completely messed up. Yeah, I think they. I don't know what can be said. I think their edge defense is lacking. Both sides of the four, they just seem to be lacking. When you let Drew Hutchison put a try on down the blind side, I think that's all that needs to be said. When you let Lord Hutch put two by way down the sideline, but hang on, it got even better for the Roosters. We had Nat Butcher streak down the sideline. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, let's, um, be real. let's be real for a second about the Sharks. Yep. They've had four wins from their last eight games and they haven't won consecutive games since their three-game win streak in round two, three, and four. Was that against... Let me try and think of this off the top of my head. They won against Para, Dragons, Tigers? Knights. Knights. They, they beat, oh, sorry, so four was, straight. Para, Dragons, Knights, Tigers. I knew they definitely the beat the Tigers because that was when they the flare bloke was on the field. Yeah, but then since that Tigers game, Win They've loss. won three from seven. In that win-loss kind of pattern, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's not good when you're trying to secure a top four place. Obviously, this week they dropped from fourth to seventh on this result alone. They've let the rest of the field catch them up, and they have no one to blame but themselves. Exactly. They do have no one to blame but themselves. I think a few people got a little bit carried away with their performances as of late. Talakai clan. <laughs> Talakai, I wasn't going to say Talakai, um, even though he did get owned by Joseph Sawali, who hasn't he found himself a bit of a purple patch of form, young Sawali. He's been excelling. Just what I like about him, and everyone raves on about his attack, his offloads, his carries out of yardage, but his defence, man, is exceptional. Like that error to force, that forced Kennedy to lose the ball that sent Tubo in for his second. Everyone bangs on about, oh, we're losing players to rugby. Perfect example of how rugby can translate to rugby league. Yeah. And I think Sawali is one of the most well-rounded outside-edge prospect we've seen in decades. Oh, isn't he? Because usually when you have a player that well-rounded, you put him in the center straight away. But the fact that Sawali isn't just you know playing on the wing because there's no center positions. He's playing on the wing because he's a natural winger. You know, with all the talent he has, that is absolutely insane. And he'll have, and he'll probably go into the centers this week because Marnie will go to fullback, and then you play Kevin Agama on the flank. 
But I mean, realistically, if the Roosters wanted to, he'd probably have the center spot over Momorowski if he really wanted to force it. Momos has, Momos has bounced back lately. I'm, I'm I willing... know he's bounced back, but if you had to pick between Momos at center or Suwali at center with Nagano on the wing, what would you pick? You, pick, you, make, me do, you, make, me, you make me make some hard choices on this program. I know, but you don't have to make the choice. I'm just telling you how it is. Um, but yeah, if Suwali wanted to, he could force his way into centers, but he's more than happy to play wing, which is what I'm saying. That's oh, yeah. very rare for a player with his talent. I think he's just comfortable because he knows that the Roosters looked after him. They've nurtured him for his key part of his development to then get him in the first grade. And Robbo hasn't been gun shy about how it's important to ease him in the first grade. He took, he played, he started the season in New South Wales Cup to come back from that Lish Frank injury. And then look at what it's done for him. Well, I mean, look at what happened last season. You know, everyone made the big deal about how they got given the exemption to allow him to play when he was 17. Mm-hmm. You know, it was basically thought that he was going to be in the round one because of that exemption. But Robbo eased him through the New South Wales Cup and waited until he was ready to make his debut. And obviously, even though he didn't have the best start, he didn't have, you know, put up the flashy numbers maybe we were expecting him to. But that experience has helped him into this season where he, now, the last month or so, he's truly showing what he's capable of at an NRL level. And he's still only 18 years of age. Isn't he 100%? But okay, moving on to one of the greatest pastimes in rugby league history. Now, you're probably thinking, oh, we're at Belmore. Nope, just kidding with you. It's more tank ball. I don't miss tank ball whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Good executive decision to put that on this year's program. But anyway, we were back at Belmore and we need to play more football there. How good was it to have a packed house on the hill, packed grandstands, provocal atmosphere? That is so much better than playing at Homebush. Look, I'm very 50-50 on that. And... I've always been someone who hasn't really felt the allure of the suburban stadiums as much as other people have. Mm-hmm. I think the Bulldogs playing one game a year at Belmore is perfect because it makes you get that nostalgia. Game. You don't get a packed house if the Bulldogs are playing six, seven games a year at Belmore. No, but because it's that one time opportunity, you get the packed house. But they have to start scheduling better games on there. Because I swear, every time they play at Belmore, it's a dud game. You go back to when they came, I think it was 2015, you had Melbourne on that Monday night, 16,000. Then they had an informed Sharks team, 20,000. Yeah, but then since then, you know, this is supposed to be, this is, especially with the Bulldogs not being competitive for the finals, this is supposed to be the crown jewel of their season. And they don't exactly bring the best teams in, do they? No, I think they could have brought in better teams. They could have probably... They could have. they could have maybe moved the Roosters game, for instance. But I think they got the time slot right. 2 p.m., Sunday yes. Arvo. Yes. That's perfect. I think you either have to do it at 2 p.m. game or a Friday night primetime game. I think, that, I think you're right there. I really think you're right there. But anyway, we need to talk about the game now. Um... 
The Bulldogs screwed themselves. Way too many mistakes. And we say the same thing over and over again. Oh, they're competitive. They try hard. But they had too many mistakes. Birdo kicked three balls dead in a row. And then one was out on the four, I think. Yeah. It's rookie errors. And, you know, Burton being in his third season, the first grade, you don't really expect that from him now. Especially coming from the Panther system where he rarely put a foot wrong. Mm-hmm. But pressure pressure can create diamonds, but it can also burst pipes. And that's what we're seeing this season. He's under a bit of pressure now having to be the lead option of the Bulldogs, and he's showing it. Now, is there a and stat about I, how many touches Flano had this week? I haven't seen anything. Because to me, it felt like he got his hands on the footy a little bit more. Yeah, but they need to do more. He needs to do more because he needs to find a way to take pressure off Burton to make Burton feel more at home in the Bulldogs jersey. And right now, it's just not working. 100% so. it isn't. I'm just trying to see if I can get the stats up. NRL stats, player touches. No, if it doesn't want to work for me, that's okay. That's okay. okay. Um, saying that, I thought he, he Flano was good. I didn't have a problem with the way Flano played. Uh, Matt Dufty, Rocks and Diamonds, as always, but apparently Rocks and Diamonds is good enough to get a Dally M point. You know how it works. This is the last week we get to touch on Dally M voting. I'm really sad. I know, eh? It's... We can't rip on the judges anymore. At least until the end of the season. At least until the end of the season. <laughs> I'm, I'm really actually disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> but... I really think that Ben Hunt, he has had a great season for St. George. He leads the Dalliums on 19 points at the moment. But will it translate to a number nine spot for Queensland? That's my question, Mark. I'll save it for when we discuss Origin because there is a point I want to make in that. Yep. Uh, but yeah, obviously Hunt's form has been electric. He's actually leading the Dallium voting. Yeah, which is he's on nineteen, which is crazy to think about that the supposed best player in the world is on a team that's six and six. But he has polled, I think, three votes in every win they've had this season. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. When the Dragons win, Hunt's been their best player. Hundred percent, it has. But moving on now to our last game of the season, not the season, sorry, of the round. Jesus, that came quick. We, yeah, we jumped the gun, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've had a big week. Raiders, uh, Raiders v Eels, 28 points to 20 Parramatta got up over the green machine. And it is the same old story. Canberra, you blew it. You blew it. And At least the... this one wasn't an egregious blown lead. They, it was a close game at halftime, and they kept it close. But I think your fans will have a different view about taking the two when you've got all the momentum and all the footy. True. Very true. Like, what, what is the thought process there? Like, what, do you just want to score first to try and stop the choke? And, I mean, let's be real. A two-point lead to a four-point lead isn't that significant. And was cut in half the second Parramatta scored through Simonson. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Dylan Brown, one of them emerging as one of the better number sixes in the game, and he was left to freeze his ass off because of Fox League. <laughs> <laughs> the poor bloke needed a puffer jacker jacket. <laughs> that doesn't sound like Fox League. No, we don't care about welfare. <laughs> 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 but 
But what are you making of Dylan Brown's performances at the moment? Um, he has been electric. I think is the best way to describe it. Just the perfect foil for Mitch Moses these last few weeks. Moses, obviously, everyone knows Mitch Moses can run the ball, but he's also such a talented playmaker that the Eels have to find a way to use that. And when Dylan Brown's in the form he is with the ball in his hands, it makes it very easy for them to turn around to Mitch Moses and go, all right, just focus on getting your kicks away. Focus on pinning the Raiders deep, which is what Moses did all all Sunday night. Yeah, and... Perfect at pinning the Raiders inside their own 20 off the kick. And it allowed him to play more direct. It allowed... Dylan Brown to play more direct, not have to worry about being the playmaker. And as a whole, the Eels benefited. And when Nafo Gaffo has one of those games where he drops an absolute sitter into the lap of Sebastian Chris, I really wanted Seb Chris to do the Gafferino. That would have just been perfect, man. (laughs) (laughs) If it was Rapana, he would have. Oh, fucking oaf, he would have. <laughs> um, Hux's favourite player, besides Satili Tupanilla, Sean Lane, I thought had a really good game. I gave him my one point, so I don't think Hux is mates for me anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> I gave him my one vote. But he was really solid. Joseph Tarpany, I thought, had a really good game, amongst others. But Canberra need to pick up some wins during Origin. They've got the Roosters at home next Sunday. They need to capitalise on the fact that the Roosters have some guys out. Canberra obviously now will be without Jack White and for reasons that I'll discuss in a minute. Safe to say I'm not happy. Um, <laughs> I'm happy as a Roosters fan, but not happy as a New South Wales fan. Yeah. That's all I want to say. And that's then, fair. yeah, I think that's all I've got to say on that. Okay, Graham has his briefing time now and... I start the briefing off by saying that the Dallium goes behind closed doors at this point, as we're mentioning just before. I don't know why the NRL head of football needs to say that. I thought it was just pretty logically laid out. But I remember we work we we, Cheers, we Graham, rugby league cool. media. What was that, sorry? Cheers, Graham. Very cool. Cool story, bro, don't care. <laughs> um Annesley showed a graph that showcased how long it took a player to get off the field for a HIA. So he showed a graph. If you want to look at it on my Twitter, go ahead and go at AJ Antonio and you'll find that straight away. The red line showcases 2021, which is 125.15 seconds after the impact where a trainer took someone from the field. Due to the introduction of our mate, the independent doctor, it is down dramatically in 2022 to just over 88 and a half seconds. So we're getting there. But I still think that 88 and a half can be brought down a little bit when there's easy cases. And again, I look at Joseph Sawali. The replay showed it straight away. There was a lengthy stoppage. Why can't the independent doctor buzz in at that specific moment and tell him to get off the field? Yeah, I mean, again, you're not wrong at all. It's I'm not going to accept this fine tooth, the teething issue stuff anymore. We're 12 weeks in the season. Well, the teething oh. issues was something we pointed out in round one. It's now round 12. You know, we, oh, at, yeah, what point, at what point do the teeth come through? <laughs> they're, still, they're still coming, apparently. They're still coming, right, Graham? Uh, yeah. Aye, aye, aye. They're still coming. <laughs> okay. Incident one from the week. We're going to look at obstruction once again because 
apparently everyone's still got their knickers in a twist about what obstruction is. So, how the referees and bunker are adjudicating on obstruction on a try on when a try is scored. When looking at the Cowboys v Panthers incident where Viliami Kikau appeared to impede the Cowboys defenders. Now, this point is very, very crucial. So get your pen and paper ready. Abstraction is not black and white. Shocker. The refs and the bunkers have discretion. Because as I was saying, I think I said all the way back, I think it was round two, that the refs and the bunkers have this discretionary power because we got complaints when it was too black and white. Yep. Annesley played audio to show the on-field communicators, on-field officials in the bunker communicating on that key count no try. This year, you might have noticed if you look at the NRL appointments, they have what we call a bunker supervisor in the bunker. So they help flag incidents like they help the, ref, the, the bunker official adjudicate on place. So I think we've had a few of the NRL blokes in there this year and then a few of your old mates like Steve Chitty and Alan Short have been in there as well. We have the key indicators of obstruction. So this is tied in to what we spoke about, I think it was round nine. So just in case, I'll repeat it for our listeners here. Ready to go? Ready when you are. So the key indicators, was the ball caught on the inside shoulder? Is there contact? Who initiates contact? Was it a defensive decision? And what was the impact on the play? Those are our five key indicators that we're looking for. Yep. It's simple. It's, it looks so simple. Yeah, it's just... Are we sure it's not black and white? Oh, what? Oh, black and white? What the fuck am I saying? I think, I, I think you said it right the first time. <laughs> no, I said black and white. Oh, wipe. I didn't hear wipe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, incident two again confirms obstruction between the Bulldogs and the Dragons. It was a similar incident with the Cowboys defenders here with Jay Cavarillo and Kyle Flanagan jamming in. It was called a defensive decision live by the touch judge, Ziggy Adamski. It was a good call from the bunker. It confirms that... You know how they have this theory that the bunker don't look at a try until they blow time off and signal the box? Yep, that's wrong. It's wrong because the audio they played today showcases the fact that they're reviewing it all the way until they confirm the try. I think they have a timer. I think it's around two minutes. If they're reviewing it for more than two minutes without a confirm button, then they blow time off and announce their review. Yeah. Okay. Which, again, I'm surprised how many people just fail to understand that. The average punter, that is what they call them. (laughs) They're not wrong. Okay, contact on kickers. Now, this is an interesting one. It again comes out of the Panthers-Cowboys game. The Jordan McLean tackle on Nathan Cleary. Annesley says Cleary was in a vulnerable position, not a lot of contact, but could have ended badly. McLean follows through and should have faced the consequences as Cleary falls heavily and awkwardly, wasn't called a penalty, and missed by the officials. So I'm going to read to you the contact on kickers section of the NRL laws and interpretations now. Yeah, go ahead. So it says... It will be in conduct with breach of the rules where in, a, in the course of a charge down or attempted charge down of a kick in the course of play, the charging player makes dangerous and forceful contact with the kicking player. The special duty which is imposed on players to avoid dangerous contact to an opposing player is particularly important when a kicking player is in a position of physical vulnerability. 
Such vulnerability will arise where at the time of contact, A, the kicking player is in the act of kicking the ball and has either one or both feet off the ground and or where or B, where he is otherwise off balance. Forceful contact with any part of the kicker player's body when that player is in a position of vulnerability, by definition, carries with it an unacceptable risk of injury and will therefore be deemed dangerous. Similarly, contact which results in a kicking player in the kicking player landed awkwardly on the ground also carries with it an unacceptable risk of injury and will also be deemed dangerous. Whether an injury actually occurs is not to the point. The offence is directed at preventing conduct which carries the risk of injury. Again, that sounds simple enough. But a few That's... times we look at incidents and go, um, uh, we're a bit, a bit unsure, don't we? Realistically, you know, it's okay. In that position, it's okay if McLean had have stopped his run. All done the bear hug. Or slowed down, slowed down before he hit Cleary. But even when you commit to the launch into the tackle before the ball gets kicked, it still has to be a penalty because the excuse of, oh, where else can he go? He shouldn't be launching in in the first place. Exactly right. And I think that's one area that I think the officials will be watching, particularly of origin around the corner with Cleary and DCE, notable whinges. Well, at the same time, there has to be onus placed on the kicker to not take a dive at the slightest hint of contact. Do you think that could be an issue now with the way that that rule comes across? I think it could be if kickers are smart enough. But at the same time, I also trust that referees are smart enough to know when's, when one's a dive and when one's real contact. But at the same time, it's a very massive grey area. It, it is a it is a massive grower. Okay, last incident to get through is from the Sharks and the Roosters game, the Cameron McInnes try. There are differences, this Annesley puts it, between this one and the Gagai no try from last week. No incident is exactly the same. We need to look at incidents on their own, doubling down on saying that Gagai's was a no try. According to Annesley, McInnes' try was examined minutely. That's the same with every grounding, Graham. Yeah. I don't know why he's emphasising that, but okay. We'll carry on. With McInnes, the palm is wrapped around the ball and is grounded. Now, I expressed a little bit of opinion that may have been a bit of a double standard, but after looking at the replay in super slow-mo, I am satisfied that is a try. Yeah. You remember the bunker has access to more camera angles than they the let us. So... I'm, I'm disappointed, though, that we don't get the same level of access of those camera angles, especially... On those close calls. Yeah, 100%. It's, well, I mean, it's the onus on Fox and Nine, isn't it? Yeah, but we bang on about commentators and that's screwing up too much. Let's have a change of pace. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, State of Origin is coming up next Wednesday. It'll be New South Wales going head to head with the Queensland Road. So we're going to take you through the lineup and we'll see how accurate we were. So, going through New South Wales first, James Tedesco's at fullback, Brian Toto and Daniel Tupo on the wings. Katoni Staggs and old mate Jack Weiner in the centres. Halves of Blue Eye and Cleary. The forwards, Haas, Cook, Paulo, Murray, Sims and Yo, with the bench of Crichton, Martin, Campbell, Gillard, Madison. The reserves, Hines, Frizzell, Saifidi, Sawali and Coruscant. Now, the key point, obviously, Jack Wine in the centres over Stephen Crichton. I don't get that. You look at the way Dane Gagai owned him in 2020. 
I, I really don't get that. Crichton's more of a physical body that can go after him. Reece, look, what... look, Stephen Crichton's the perfect bench utility, isn't he? In a pinch, he can come on and play second. <laughs> what are they going to do? Shove wide into the Mr. Fixon and throw Crichton at center? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a weird selection, isn't it? And, it is you a know, weird, weird one. I, I even, don't get it. Even if for some reason Fittler was intent on naming Crichton number 14, Nico Hines is a better option at center than Jack Wyden is anyway. For all intents and purposes, you could throw Sawali on Dabu and you'd do a better job. Yeah, exactly. It's like a very weird one. And, you know, if Wyden gets exposed in game one, the knives are going to be out for Fittler because of that selection. 100%. We're going to be where we were in 2020. And we did, I think it was in our old format, we looked at the Queensland miracle win. And we pinpointed that the two fullbacks at centres wouldn't work. And obviously that theory was proved wrong when obviously they played Turbo and Latrell there. But that just shows the different Even skill sets. Latrell's a natural centre who's playing at fullback because he wants to. Exactly. Exactly right. Um, do you want to take us through Queensland? Is that where your allegiances lie? Uh, yeah, sure. Let me just pull it up so I make sure I'm reading off the right one. Not your one that you want to imagine, is it? <laughs> Look, the one I want to imagine is very similar to um, the one that was named, to be fair. Let's go through it. Bit of surprises, but so the Queensland squad for game number one at fullback, Kalen Ponga on the wing, Selwyn Cobbo and Xavier Coates, the centre combination of Valentine Holmes and Dane Gagai. In the halves, you got Cameron Munster and the captain, Daly Cherry Evans. The forward pack, Tino Fasamuali and Josh Papali are the props with Ben Hunt at hooker. Kirk Capewell, Felice Kafusi, and Ruben Cotter make up the back row. Off the bench, Harry Grant, Lindsay Collins, Patrick Carrigan, and Jeremiah Nanai, with Tom Dearden as the 18th man as it stands right now. It's a good side. Um, Damn good side. It's a very, very strong side. A lot stronger than what I was expecting. To be fair. Um, I think the glaring omission from the, the sheet we had was Mo Fodawaka. Yes. That was the glaring one. We both had him in our lineups. Other omissions that I can see but here. But to be I fair, think... I think him missing the game against the Broncos probably didn't help his chances of being selected. He was injured, though, I think. Yeah. So, so obviously, again, is not sold that he's healthy and decided to pass up on him, which is understandable. David Fafita, too, is another one that's an interesting non-selection. He re-injured his knee in the Broncos game as well. He's out two to three weeks, I believe. That's a, big, video, so. that's a big blow. Um, that's a blow. Harry Grant and Ben Hunt's an interesting one. I, I knew you wanted to get to this earlier. So take us through your feelings about that one. Okay. Well, you got to remember, Billy Slater's the coach. Billy Slater spent his entire career playing next to Cameron Smith. And this is going to sound very, very weird out of context. But I think Billy Slater wants Ben Hunt to be his version of Cam Smith in that mm. sort of offensive structure, you know, the ability to just play the dummy half role and instead of looking for yourself, setting up the teammates, kicking out of dummy half, dropping into first receiver. That sort of player that made Cam Smith one of the best players in rugby league history. You know, if Slater can get that at hooker, that could unlock Munster massively. You know, oh, couldn't it? That could unlock Capel and Kafusi on the edges. It would work wonders if he just takes a little dummy half, 
stab kick in the back and all of a sudden you got Val Holmes and Selwyn Cobbo or Gagai and Xavier Coates running onto it. I'm sorry to break away from this, but I've got some big news that I need to break right now. Here we go. Semi Rad Raja to the Dolphins is a distinct possibility. Ooh. From what I'm hearing, there is, there is serious interest from the Dolphins about bringing him back to rugby league. Wayne Bennett, he cheeky bastard. Did you expect that one, my friend? No, that has come out of left field massively. Jeez. They were even after Suliasi Vunavalu, but he is staying firm with rugby for the moment. So they've gone for the next best option. To be fair, that's a fair good second option, isn't it, Semi? So I'm sorry to get, break away from your tangent, but that's it's too good. good to pass up. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, Eels fans will be filthy at that. They would be filthy. Absolutely filthy. But they've uh, got no space to accommodate him in the cap. Yeah, yeah, obviously. And with Sivo, it's not like they're missing a Fijian winger. But Exactly. You know, at the end of the day, um, there was a gentleman agreement between Raj Raja and Parramatta that if he was to return to the NRL, Parra would get first crack at him. But again, we all know how gentlemen's agreements work in rugby league. True. Okay, one thing I wanted to ask you quickly. Felice Cafusi starting. Do you think he's done enough to earn that? It's very 50-50. And I think at the end of the day, the decision to put Nanai on the bench makes more sense than the decision to start Nanai. Now that I think about it, Nanai's defense is questionable. perfect. We'll say. I think, let's take a look at the missed tackle rates because I know Nanai's up there. Yes, that's what I wanted you to not look at. Uh, Nano, I mean, Ben Hunt's got the most with 57, so he's just panicking about the move to the middle. Nano's inside the top 10 with 40. Liam Martin has the second most missed tackles. I think that's their panic button about as far as starting or being on the bench is concerned for him. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, so the thing with Kafusi is he's solid. This age, he's not that spectacular back row we had in those Premiership winning Storm teams that was chasing on to the end of grubber kicks, that was putting massive shots on and forcing errors. Mm-hmm. But he's molded himself into a very consistent veteran back rower. 100% he has. And when you're a team like Queensland, who has a lot of extremely young, exciting talent that is still very raw, uh-huh. you need those veteran heads in the side. Fair point. Fair point indeed. Okay, it is time for the prestigious Lol Cow of the Week. Meow. I've got one from the Formula One. Oh, wow. This week. Now, I gave my NRL one earlier, but my Lol Cow this week, hopefully I haven't stolen races. The FIA. I'll let you hear it, but then I'll... I have some explanation for this as well, but go ahead, go ahead and say it. For waiting nearly an hour to start the Monaco Grand Prix. Now, I understand the first delay, but we were literally watching paint dry before they got the safety car out there. <laughs> we were literally... It's like we were out... It's like this is how I was watching the uh, Grand Prix. That's... <laughs> I was just waiting. 
and whiting and whiting. Fucking <laughs> hell. It's just gone, man. <laughs> Get the safety car out there. At least look like you're doing something. Uh, What's the excuse? Yeah, so the safety the car delay, back was dead. The first delay was caused actually by a power outage, which got rid of the start lights. So they couldn't actually start the race. <laughs> um, only in fucking Monaco, mind you. This is a big year for Monaco too, because they've got their contract renewal. Yeah, it's massive, actually. Um, but go ahead. What's your lol cow for this yeah. week? So I could stick with the Formula 1 theme and give my lol cow to the Ferrari strategists for their amazing call on Charles Leclerc. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I could also give it to Liverpool Football Club for coming two wins short of a quadruple. Oh, I know what you're doing! And, and just ending up with a domestic cup double instead. I think I know what you're doing. What am I doing? Are you doing that bus company? No. But Damn! that's as well. <laughs> the bus company which promised which promised to take Liverpool fans all the way to Paris for the Champions League final. Only for it to later be revealed that the managing operator was a Mr. Rich Arlison, <laughs> aka the Everton striker. <laughs> but, I'm sorry, dude. I had to. I had to ask. But I'm sticking with the NRL. Okay. And I'm sticking. I'm going with a Roosters fan on Twitter. Oh fuck! Who has? The banner of the Roosters beating the Broncos 59-0 on this Twitter page. His name is Brett Robinson. Brett Robinson. I have not heard of this bloke, and I'm on Roosters Twitter quite regularly. Okay. Well, Brett Robinson was watching the Rabbitohs-Tigers game, and he decided to put this tweet out. Mm Mm-hmm. An ankle tap is not a tackle. <laughs> it should be penalised as a trip, and any player who attempts it should immediately be given 10 minutes in the bin for a professional foul. And junior football, that is 100% correct. <laughs> yeah. It's classified as a lifting tackle, I'm aware, but... Lifting tackle? Yes, that's what I heard. It's classified as a lifting tackle. Okay. Um, but... This is the NRL. And I like um, how he's changed it to only add Brett Rob 73 follows or mentions can reply. Yes, he did do that, which was... That's usually how you know that it's a very shit opinion on Twitter. And then you got ankle taps too saying, F you at least have the balls to tag me. Yes. <laughs> Fucking legend. <laughs> he is a good guy. And then the quote tweets, all of my mates... And then I should have seen this. Well, that's our low cow of the week sorted then. <laughs> <laughs> and then Hux, the man himself, your finished lap at ankle taps too. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, I'm going to have to go on an indefinite hiatus. Also, sneaky favourite parties, ankle tap isn't a tackle. Like, yeah, we know, bro. That's why you still have to jump on them after they hit the deck. <laughs> Well, this has been very fun, this Indigenous Round edition of the League scene. Big thanks to Resilent, as always. Next week, we're going to do an episode recapping the split round and our preview of Origin 1. 
And then we might have to do two. We might have to come back on Thursday morning and go through Origin 1. All right. Thinking we could get two out in one week. I reckon we can do that. Exactly Maybe right. Horses. We can do it. Yeah, we can do it. Anyway, that will conclude this week's edition of the League Scene. Big thanks to Reese as always, for turning up. Oh, always good to have me, AJ, especially when the Broncos are winning. And the Chooks are winning, so that way you can't give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next week for another edition of the League Scene. Take care, everybody. Thank you.